At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Thank you, Melissa. Hi, everybody. I'm Kelly Evans. And after two years of buying stuff and skipping experiences, is that trend about to reverse? We've got the new numbers and the market impact from stocks to inflation. And all those new experiences mean a lot more flying and driving. And that has demand for oil posed to go even higher. Plus, natural gas prices are surging again today. We'll get some stock picks in the energy space. And earnings are proving to be a huge swing factor for stocks. We'll look ahead to the next big reports with Qualcomm, Meta, and Spotify all on deck. But first to Dom Chu with the market state of play right now. I mean, you talk about that big earnings story, the biggest and worst performer in the S&P all due to earnings right now. So to Kelly's point, let's talk about that particular tale of two markets. Earnings driving a lot of the action, mostly in technology. We've seen either side of unchanged today, but generally more positive, actually floating towards session highs for certain parts of the market. The Dow Industrial is up a half a percent, 150 points to the upside. The S&P 500 up about 35 points, the level 4581, the last trade. And then 14,425 or thereabouts for the Nasdaq composite, that's up about one half of 1%. Modest gains, fractional, but they're still positive. So maybe a little bit of that bounce back still trying to hold. Uh, We talk about the growth versus value trade. And, And for the better part of the last year, the value trade has been that kind of slow and steady upside performer. That's the orange line that you've seen there. Meanwhile, the white line, a lot more volatility, as you can see over the course of the year, and specifically just in the last couple of months. But look at what's happened in just the last week. As we've come off the lows, much more performance has been focused on those growth-oriented stocks versus value. So that's a dynamic. Whether it's sustainable or not will be a big question for traders to try to answer in the coming weeks. And the stock of the day, we mentioned the one half, the biggest gainer in the S&P 500, Alphabet. Not often we see a mega cap communication services or technology company become the best performing stock. It's up about 9% right now, just off of its session highs. Better than expected results, both profits and revenues. But more than anything else, the chatter is about whether or not there could be any kind of ripple effect from the 20 for one stock split that these folks at Alphabet are looking to do. Remember, a $3,000 price tag means roughly 150 bucks a share if that thing goes through and people start to give, hey, you know, maybe we do find more affordable shares a little bit more attractive, driving a lot of the sentiment there. So we'll see what happens. Class A and Class C shares both catching a big bid today, Kelly. Back over to you. IBM goes out. Maybe Google comes in. Oh, now you're now you're speculating. <laughs> I like I like that. <laughs> we'll see what it holds. Dom, thank you very you much. Meantime, one big trend that emerged during the pandemic was consumers spending money on goods rather than services. Just look back to last year and spending on things dramatically outpaced spending on doing things. Good spending is up 22 percent since the pandemic began, while services spending is only up 5 percent, according to Jeffries. But that trend may be beginning to change. MasterCard's spending pulse, which tracks spending across all their platforms, shows spending on air travel this January growing by more than 100 percent from last year. Lodging and dining expenditures up more than 30 percent. And this all has big implications for inflation. For more, let's bring in Brooklyn Dwyer. He is MasterCard's chief economist and head of the MasterCard Economics Institute. Brooklyn, welcome. 
Thank you very much. So how much runway do you think we have for this to really reverse? And do you expect it to reverse sharply? So it was really fascinating, right? We saw this 27-year trend of moving toward more services, uh, you know, it just it totally interrupted. And, uh, and, then, and then just uh, just toward the middle of last year, we saw the consumer really start to recalibrate its spending. And think about that, you know, buying too much stuff, as you just mentioned, and looking more toward the services. Now we've seen that rebound of that momentum of services really climb through the end of last year. And then Omicron happened and kind of uh, provided a bit of a setback. But what we're seeing in the latest data is that setback looks, looks to be uh, fairly temporary and things look back on track toward that services or that experience economy that we were in just uh, just a few years ago. Well, we've certainly seen the reopening stocks even this week gaining some momentum. The restaurant names Brinker had strong earnings this morning. That's kind of helping it move to the upside. So, you know, if we talk about what that holds for the next couple of months, then where do you expect to see people spending the most? What's really interesting is during the last holiday season, we saw shopping early, both in-store and online, and we're seeing that now. So we're seeing that continuation of strong e-commerce spend, as well as people shopping uh, in-store. And that's showing up in restaurants, you know, as people continue to order order in, as well as showing up in the restaurants and, and getting back out there with friends and family. So those are very key trends that we're seeing happening today. All right. So let's talk about the inflation implications, because it's a big deal. What if you want to look at what happened on the supply chain side of things, you had a huge wave of demand overwhelming an area for goods that it was not used to that. And we've seen the supply chain problems and inflation as a result. So if that's receding, does that mean we can expect some easing on that front? I think there's some some good reasons to expect that um, that impact to be uh, positive uh, or, uh, you know, uh, alleviate some of the pressure on inflation. Uh, certainly, there were two factors driving inflation higher, the disruption at the ports and factories and everywhere else, both in terms of labor and just getting stuff. And then it was this excess demand. As that demand has started to cool off, um, that'll alleviate that front. And then workers start to go back to factories and ports and things like that, which we've already seen, again, providing uh, uh, pressure easing off. So both of those factors should help the inflation story and should help the overall uh, consumer spending story quite well. All right. You have some uh, more sort of hyperlocal data as well. So tell me where you see outperformance across the country and by what kinds of consumers. So the, the, it's really fascinating. At the uh, MassCard Economics Institute, we're focused on that hypergranularity using our spending pulse data. We're seeing that across the country where the southern parts of the country that are less impacted by the blizzard that happened uh, also got a big benefit from, uh, from some of the excess savings um, that has continued. We're seeing that as a relative outperformer, a lot of mobility or people moving to the south, as well as some of those uh, less populated states in the middle of the country. Those are the areas that we're seeing that momentum and that really goes in line with the trends that we're seeing in overall mobility as well as uh, some of the restrictions and the spending patterns that we see. So finally, for those who are wondering how much spending power the consumer is going to have this year when the Fed's pulling back, fiscal stimulus is pulling back, it's not like you can look into people's bank accounts, but what does your data suggest? That's right. So the way we're looking at that is are we seeing consumers continue to spend in the face of these headwinds? As you mentioned, that $600 payment that came into people's banks accounts at the beginning of last year in January makes it really difficult for sectors to outperform relative to last year. But we're seeing some really strong numbers. 
Omicron that just happened. We're seeing strong numbers in the face of that. And of course, the latest disruptions on the weather front, we're continuing to see a lot of spending momentum. So we're looking and monitoring that very closely to see if consumers are responding to that new piece of information or how much of a lag or impact we're seeing from that hangover of that big uh, uh, spending that happened at the end of last year. In other words, you're not seeing a huge effect. People, it looks like people are pretty robust. That's right. We're seeing that continuation of firm consumer spending, both in person and in store, in a lot of broad-based categories. People want to get back out there in that retail uh, space. It's been very prominent uh, and also in the experiences economy. Very interesting. Bricklin, thanks for joining us with all the details today. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Brooklyn Dwyer with MasterCard. Now, my next guest says in the market, industrials are the best place to be right now. Names like UPS, Caterpillar, and United Rentals. Industrials have the highest growth estimates of any sector. They've already been turning in strong performance this earnings season. Joining me now is Emily Rowland. She's co-chief investment strategist at John Hancock Investment Management. And Emily, your interest in this sector to me jibes with what we just heard from Brooklyn about the strength of the consumer. Absolutely, Kelly. So demand is clearly remaining robust. And what we're looking for right now to play this accelerating growth environment and clearly elevated inflation pressures is at the value in the cyclical side of the market, but not all cyclicals are created equal. What we're looking for now is really fading those lower quality winners of late 2021, early 2022, and looking at this sort of intersection of value and quality. So what we want to do is own companies and sectors that have great earnings growth prospects. We want to look for companies that have high operating leverage. So think about a company that has significant investment in property, plant, and equipment who doesn't need to make much additional investment in that fixed asset that can pass those prices along. So we see that pricing power is really being a key element of the story here. And we're finding that really in the industrial sector. This is a sector that's got great return on equity, strong balance sheets. And again, that pricing power that we're looking for as inflation remains elevated. We had a a guest the other day, more of a technical trader, but who said that industrials often outperform in the first six months of a rate hike cycle, which we haven't even begun yet. How much of the strength is already playing out? I mean, after UPS's move on earnings the other day, people probably wish they were in it before that. Yeah, I mean, industrials has started to sort of catch some footing here early in 2022. It was an overweight of ours last year, and we were a little bit surprised uh, by the disappointing uh, uh, performance last year. But I think what's really interesting, given this, this rate hike environment, is industrials is a sector that actually doesn't need a steeper yield curve. So our view going into 2022 is that you'll actually see the yield curve, which is flattened by a considerable degree already, remain flat as the short end of the curve moves higher, the long end stays range bound as economic growth moderates throughout the year. A lot of cyclical parts of the market are actually very much dependent on higher rates and higher inflation to show leadership. And industrials is one of those sectors that can grow organically and doesn't necessarily need that. The other element here is just earnings growth. You know, last year we think about it being almost earnings nirvana. You know, we saw 45% earnings growth for the S&P 500. Now we're looking at mid single digits, high single digit earnings growth. The industrial sector is penciled in to see about 35% earnings growth in 2022. So that's where we want to look for those opportunities. What do you do with technology? 
So tech is another favorite sector of ours, actually, and it comes back to this element of quality. Right now, what we're doing is we're leaving the early part of the market cycle. That's max accommodative Fed policy. It's when economic growth is just ripping off the bottom earnings growth starting to turn around. Now, as we enter this mid-cycle period, that's where fundamentals come back into the spotlight. This is a period in which economic growth is going to go from awesome to normal. And in that type of environment, you want companies that have great balance sheets, good return on equity, ability to maintain margins, ability to grow organically, even as the market or the economy returns to more normal levels. There's no more fiscal stimulus. So we want to own technology in particular in that intersection of quality. We don't like unprofitable tech. That was our view coming into the year. It's, we're certainly seeing some elements of froth getting removed from the, market, from the market in those areas. It's really about quality growth. You're going to find that in tech. You're going to find that in communication services. Yeah. So final question, you mentioned the yield curve earlier. You like industrials, you can kind of stay away from it. And the twos, tens is below 60 basis points this afternoon. What do you do with financials? Yeah, financials, we're comfortable being neutral in the U.S. We don't like financials internationally. We're okay. We think credit growth can continue to expand here as the economic recovery continues to unfold. The challenge there, it comes back to earnings. So earnings growth for financials actually just got downgraded, and we're looking at negative 10% earnings growth for 2022. We just think that there's better opportunities in areas that can grow organically yeah. and, again, don't require that steeper yield curve in order to exhibit market leadership. That's surprising that it's a decline and uh, of that magnitude. Yeah. Emily, great to have you here today. Thank you so much. Walking us through your playbook a little bit. We appreciate it. Thanks, Kelly. Emily Rowland with John Hancock Investment Management. Coming up, the supply chain blame game is in full swing this earnings season, but we'll speak with an analyst who says supply chain issues are a boon for three stocks in particular. Plus 16 minutes. That's how long today's OPEC meeting between Russia and the other nations lasted, as some of the world's most powerful oil producers agreed to stick to their planned increase in output. Oil down fractionally while natural gas is surging today. We're going to look at some top energy picks. And as we head to break, take a look at the Dow heat map with United Health and Travelers leading the way. Disney and Salesforce, the biggest laggards. We're back in a moment. This is The Exchange on CNBC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course. Get the limited-time offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses. Welcome back, everybody. Retailers on the whole saw a rebound last year, but it wasn't great for everyone. The discounters lagged with five below up 18%. TJX just 11%. Ross Stores fell 7%, all compared to that 40% jump in the retail ETF. But my next guest says now is the time to buy the sector. And for a very unexpected reason, supply chain issues. Let's welcome in Lorraine Hutchinson, research analyst for Bank of America Securities. 
Lorraine, it's great to have you. Does this apply to all of retail or just a couple of names here in particular? No, you know what we're really focused on today is the off-price retailers. You mentioned TJX, Ross Stores, Burlington. And the reason for this, you know, they're market share gainers. They did great on the top line last year, but they really got hit by supply chain cost pressures. What we see differently this year is we see them actually starting to reap the rewards of some of those supply chain issues. Um, you were speaking with an earlier guest about how the supply chain's still not moving. Uh, think about those hundred ships sitting outside the port of LA and think about the six, eight, 10 week delay in getting those containers unloaded. By the time they're unloaded, they're probably too late to head to retail stores. And that's where off-pricers really, really get the best deals. So what we would expect as the year goes on for the off-pricers is they will start to see some of these elevated supply chain costs wane toward the back half. But at the same time, they'll be getting the benefit of great deals on great branded product from this liable product sitting outside the ports. I think it creates a really nice sales opportunity and further um, expansion and market share gain uh, for the, this particular subsector within retail. How much upside do you see for, the, for these three in particular, for TJX, Ross Stores, Burlington? You know, we see pretty substantial upside to the stock of uh, between 30 and 50%, depending on the name. And really that will be making up some of the lost multiple. They're trading at a discount to their 10-year relative multiples versus the S&P. So we think that can bounce back after two years of underperformance. And we also see the opportunity for some nice earnings beats in the back half as they start to bring some of this really well-branded, sharply priced product into the stores. So the, the, we're showing the multiples right now. Burlington, 27 times forward earnings. TJX still up at 22. How does that stack up historically? Historically, they've tended to, to trade higher um, for TJ and Ross into the mid-20s in years when they're growing their earnings in the high single or low double digit. Burlington tends to trade higher because it has a higher growth rate and a longer runway for earnings and margin expansion. So they are all trading at a discount. Uh, and I think the reason for that is because they've faced some pretty severe cost pressures. Uh, when you think about off-price, they do handle the product a lot. It's not as efficient as a full-price retailer. So because of that and the fact that they charge lower prices for these goods, it hurts them a little bit more on the gross margin line. That's what we think we'll start to see ease as the year progresses this year. And that's where you'll see some of the really nice earnings upside opportunity. Very interesting. So let's expand it a little bit maybe to the rest of your coverage universe. What about the rest of retail as we enter 2022? Is this going to be a year of differentiation? I, I think it will. You know, I think we'll go back to the, the typical cadence of, of a stock picker's market. You know, this the sector I cover is one of the least correlated within the S&P. They generally all did well last year because you saw that pent up demand and the real consumer rebound in good spending. We think it will be a little more nuanced this year, um, especially since we've seen many retailers hit you know, margins well above pre-COVID levels. Uh, the supply chain had a different impact for some of the other retailers, meaning they had much less inventory than they would have liked. And as a result, they sold through a lot more goods at full price. So you're entering this year with sales fully recovered and gross margins well above where they were pre-pandemic. We do expect, for, it, for the most part, 
um, margins to come down for the full price retailers in 2022. And that's one of the key differentiators versus off price, where we think by the back half, those margins will be going up. Very, so very I think it'll be a little bit of a tougher year. Yeah. And, that, you know, watch those margins. And like you're saying, they're falling in, in much of retail likely, but not in this, this niche. Uh, very interesting point, Lorraine. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's good to see you. Thanks for having me. Lorraine Hutchinson with B of A. And still ahead, housing demand is hot, but mortgage companies are not. In the past week, there's been a divergence between stocks like DR Horton and Lone Depot. We'll look at what's behind it. Plus, blending work and play. One big hotel chain completely revamped. Did a bed just come out of the ceiling? Uh, revamping its rooms in the battle for post-pandemic customers. We'll look at who's doing it, what's changing, and what the hotel of the future might look like. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Go to cnbcmakeit.com slash courses to register now and learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course where experts share their secrets for a dynamic resume, coming across with confidence, what to wear, and more. For a limited time, save 50% with our introductory offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses. Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. We're a little off session highs right now. Dow's hanging on to a 105-point gain. And interestingly, the S&P is the outperformer today. We don't often see that. Dow and NASDAQ up about a quarter percent. S&P up two-thirds of one percent. So let's zero in on some of the things going on underneath the surface here. Fintech is flopping big time today after PayPal's weak earnings guidance last night. That stock is on pace for its worst day ever. It's down 26 percent. And that dates back to its spinoff from eBay in 2015. Block, having its worst session since the pandemic lows March 2020, a firm SoFi Coinbase all lower in the range of 5 to 10 percent. The e-commerce names are also in the red today. Shopify having its second worst day ever. It's down almost 10 percent. Stitch Fix, Etsy, Wayfair, eBay, all of them in the red. And social media selling off as well. Pinterest coming off its seventh straight month of losses. Snap sliding again after posting its worst month ever in January. Twitter hasn't had a positive month since last summer. Meta or Facebook for now managing to eke out some gains. It's got earnings tonight, so we'll have more on that in just a bit. Again, Pinterest is down about 9% right now. And the stay-at-home stocks are also getting slammed with Peloton, Spotify, Netflix, and Zoom all lower. Spotify also reports today, but we see declines here of about 5 to 6%. Let's get to Rahel Solomon now for a CNBC News update. Rahel? Hi, Kelly, and here's what's happening at this hour. In a resolution of dueling lawsuits, a jury has found no defamation occurred between Republican U.S. Senate candidate Roy Moore and the woman who accused him of molesting her when she was 14. The allegations upended Moore's campaign, and he ended up losing to Democrat Doug Jones. From Texas to Maine, more than 100 million people are under winter weather alerts. Heavy snow already falling in central Illinois, where up to 15 inches is expected. More than 1,800 flights have already been canceled across the country today, and nearly 1,900 flights have already been canceled for tomorrow. And on the news tonight, getting ready for the storms and which city is likely to get hit the hardest. That's tonight at 7 Eastern. And music lovers, the nominations are out for the next class of inductees to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. First-time nominees include Eminem, love Eminem, Duran Duran, and country superstar Dolly Parton, love her. The 17 nominees also include Lionel Richie. The choices for the class of 2022 will be announced in May. So much love for the real Slim Shady Kelly. We have some similar music taste, Rahel. 
That doesn't surprise me, Kelly. Talk, like mine. Yes, yeah, we, we can talk about that offline. <laughs> well, thanks. Still ahead, crude oil had come within nearly a quarter of $90 a barrel after OPEC agreed to boost output. Energy's coming off a record year. Exxon's up 75% from its 52-week low. Chevron and BP both up about 55%. We're going to look at some of the energy plays and how much these runs can continue next. Before we head to break, let's get some show and tell where we show you a chart and tell the story. Shares of GM drifting lower despite forecasting earnings at or near record levels this year as the chip shortage eases and it continues to invest in EV production. CEO Mary Barra told Squawk on the Street she's bullish on GM's pivot. We have over 110,000 reservations from both retail and fleet customers for the Silverado E, 25,000 reservations for the uh, E um, uh, bright drop uh, cargo van. So we see really strong demand for our products. Between 22 and 23, we plan on uh, building uh, 400,000 EVs. So a significant ramp and then it just it's a steeper ramp from there. Welcome back, everybody. Crude oil dipping a bit today. It's just about $88 a barrel after OPEC leaders agreed to boost production by 400,000 barrels a day starting next month. That's in line with what analysts expected. Still below what the U.S. and other nations would like as gasoline prices and inflation continue to surge. What does it mean for investors as energy has been the strongest sector to start the year? Let's welcome in Paul Sankey, the lead analyst at Sankey Research. It's good to see you again, Paul. Welcome. Hi Kelly, you got so, me singing. Uh, you got me singing Dolly Parton songs there. I see a, a man after our own hearts here. So <laughs> what, maybe you can tell us what she would say about energy right now. It's been this incredible month. You know, we look at Exxon's performance. How much of it is in the rearview mirror already? Well, that's a good point. You know, we're getting to, to sort of slightly scary levels here. Um, you know, as you mentioned, we're just about ninety dollar Brent. Actually, we think one hundred and twenty is a problem. So we do think that there's still quite a long way to go. Uh, but we're definitely worrying that, you know, with OPEC struggling to meet volumes, but above all the uncertainty around Russia, which is, you know, clearly makes the OPEC meeting somewhat irrelevant uh, here today. Uh, you know, we could we could get into a severe spike situation and we, we, we want Goldilocks. We don't want spikes, basically. And we've heard this time and again, even from Exxon itself, which says it doesn't want higher oil prices. Is there anything the U.S. can do about that or is... I mean, normally we'd say, well, this is the conundrum for investors. People are happy to drill, but they don't seem to be as happy to drill as they might have been five or 10 years ago. Well, I think the administration could get somebody who knows something about oil involved. That would be great. Uh, You know, in all seriousness, it's been pretty lamentable how bad U.S. policy has been uh, in this environment. The, The SPR, you could read in my research, we thought the SPR release that was announced, uh, you know, was clearly going to actually serve to increase oil prices and the list goes on. And by the way, these crude prices imply higher gasoline prices at the pump that we haven't seen yet. They're in the post. So there's a number of issues. The other question that, Kelly, if I could ask you to ask would be, you know, does Saudi want higher oil prices? Because because of the administration's mishandling, if you like, of world oil, I think the Saudis are prepared to have slightly higher prices than uh, you know, they might otherwise do if they were if they were more yeah. well disposed towards well, the administration. And to your point, there's so many things happening geopolitically right now that you know right. make it a, a giant headache. So the risk is a spike to the upside. Which of the stocks do you like the best right now? And then I'll, I want to ask you about nat gas. But on the oil, on the you know energy and production, uh, exploration and production piece of it, the oil majors. Who do you think would be the best investments beginning today? Well, you know, as you know, if the oil price is in a Goldilocks $90 environment, then you can pretty much buy any of them on the upstream side. We've been highlighting 
Shell into its results tomorrow just because of Exxon's result yesterday. Shell's got a very similar asset base. Suncor has lagged, uh, but has refining. We've seen Marathon Petroleum today, which is a great story, uh, have good, very good refining results. So they're pretty much all working. You know, our long-term runners and riders have been the likes of Devon and the Permian players, uh, any of them ConocoPhillips. You know, they've all got much better, better strategies, much better management. And, you know, they're all together much more attractive. And as I say, our main concern actually at this point is really whether we spike into a recessionary type oil price. Right. As opposed to, um, you know, really having a major problem with any of these oils. They all look great. Hess is another name we've been talking about this week. Yeah, we always love the Hess truck. So let's talk NatGas for a moment because that has been spiking a lot lately. Um, what comments would you offer there for investors who are curious if they should be getting exposure? Uh, welcome to being very late. And I mean, I think, Having said that, we were we were all quite bearish about natural gas simply because you're maxi- maximizing uh, the demand side somewhat here because of infrastructure limits. Again, the administration has proven itself not to be helpful to really developing what we need to develop, which is natural gas to offset higher levels of interruptible power from things like wind and solar. We should be encouraging gas pipelines. You've got you've got New England here burning a couple of hundred thousand barrels a day of oil. It's absolutely insane when you could be using gas from the Marcellus. So basically, it, you know, it's not an obvious thing to do to buy gas right before a Texas winter storm in February. <laughs> um, but it's interesting that the back end of the strip has moved up a lot. So the futures price has moved as well. And generally, the picture for U.S. natural gas is excellent. I don't think it'll stay up necessarily as high as we are right now. But obviously, you've seen that Europe is really depending heavily on U- U.S. natural gas imports. And so the secular natural gas story is great. Uh, I'm just not convinced I want to wade in in in, uh, February right before it's next to storm. True, true. Fair enough. All right, Paul, it's great to have you here today. Thank you. We'll check back in soon, I hope. Thanks, Kelly. Paul Sankey with Sankey Research. Still ahead, rates are on the rise, but home buying and refi demand remain strong. We'll explain why next. And we want to show you shares of PayPal at session lows right now and on pace for their worst one-day loss ever. This was a $310 stock in July. We're at 1.30. And remember, you can catch this show anytime, anywhere by listening to and following The Exchange podcast. While you're there, check out Conversations with Kelly, where I have extended conversations with key players on topics of personal interest. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. A strange dynamic going on in the housing market right now. The home building stocks having a rough start to the year, but seeing some green again lately. While the lenders lag, Diana Olick joins us now with that story. Diana? Well, Kelly, mortgage rates are rising sharply, but demand for both mortgages and new homes is still very strong. Not exactly what you would expect, right? So last week, the average rate on the 30-year fixed hit a two-year high at 3.78%, and rates continued to move higher today. Still, mortgage applications rose, an 18% jump in refis. That was clearly the holdouts rushing in to get the last of the low, low rates. But demands for loans to buy a home have also been steadily rising, and that's what the big builders are saying. Yesterday, Pulte reported earnings today, D.R. Horton, and they both beat expectations, both cited strong demand. So you see those stocks are much higher today. One problem, though, both builders said they are continuing to restrict sales in order to manage what they can actually produce. Still having issues with supply chain and a labor shortage. Horton's chairman, Donald Horton, said in a release, housing market conditions remain very robust and we are still selling homes later in the construction cycle so we can better ensure certainty of the home, the, the home close date 
for our home buyers. But it's this really interesting split because while the builders are beating, the lenders are missing big time. Loan Depot yesterday came in with really not great earnings and their stock is just getting crushed. So that's because of those rising mortgage rates and the expectations that we'll see so many fewer mortgage in volume later this year. Kelly. And I, it makes me wonder, Diana, are these stocks at slightly different phases of the housing cycle where one is a leading indicator of the other or are they just in totally different businesses? Well, potentially so, because most people do need a mortgage in order to get a home. And so we do expect to see home prices start to level off because you have these higher mortgage rates. But if you really start to see that purchase volume demand for mortgages fall even more, that's going to be that indicator that home sales will fall. As of now, though, still this weird split. We're still seeing demand for homes. It's just a question of when we hit that affordability level that the rate's too high, the prices are too high, and the buyers just can't do it. Yep. I still know plenty of people looking for one and just got sick of all the bidding worse. Diana, thanks. We appreciate it. Diana Olick all over this wonky housing market. Coming up, Qualcomm has beaten earnings estimates every quarter since 2017. Meta has fallen in extended training out of three out of the past four reports. And will Spotify shed any light on the Joe Rogan controversy? We'll get the key factors to watch and how to trade this afternoon's big earnings names next. Welcome back, everybody. Let's get to this edition of Earnings Exchange on three key tech companies reporting today on the heels of Alphabet's blowout report last night. First up is Qualcomm, zero sell ratings on the street. Shares are up 6% into the print today and one of only two stocks in the SMH ETF that's positive on the year. Here with the story on Qualcomm is Christina Partzinevelis. And Todd Gordon is here with our trades today. He's the founder of New Age Wealth Advisors and a CNBC contributor. Welcome, guys. Christina, what are we watching for? Well, much like other semiconductors in the space, we're expecting revenue growth, in this case with Qualcomm, $10.4 billion. But the, the avenues, the drivers for this growth, we're expecting to come from 5G technology. We know that Qualcomm launched its Snapdragon 8, 8 Gen 1 platform. So think of it as connecting absolutely everything from AI to Bluetooth to gaming. So that's one avenue. And then the second avenue would be the auto sector. During this past quarter, we had Qualcomm announce a partnership with BMW to help with its driver uh, assistance technology. Think of all those uh, screens in the car. And it's also working with Renault, another car maker. And last but not least, Apple. The fact that Apple is Qualcomm's largest customer. The fact that Apple said they're you know, working through those supply chain issues, that could bode well for Qualcomm. The company itself is pretty cheap compared to its competitors, trading right now at about 16 times forward earnings. Wow. So, Todd, are you as bullish on it as the rest of the sell side is? Yeah, that was a pretty compelling story. I, I'm not. We don't hold it in our in our portfolios. Um, you know, it, it's it's got It's been underperforming for most of 2021, right? We hold Broadcom in instead. It's got a higher dividend. Qualcomm's only one and a half. Uh, uh, Broadcom's about 2.7, and Qualcomm's been underperforming the semis and the broader market for almost all of last year until November when they broke higher in those Q4 earnings. Uh, we have uh, sort of held that support here on the pullback that we've seen it lately around 168. Uh, I am interested to get some exposure here. I think there's a lot of bullish reasons to, uh, to look at the stock into earnings. Last quarter, the CEO said they navigated uh, supply chains really well. Uh, as Christina said, their handset that business 5G upgrade is really strong. They launched that Snapja uh, Snapdragon gaming platform, which also helps with that BMW autonomous driving. And they're also very bullish with AR and 
VR, a lot of major growth opportunities. Don't forget Qualcomm chip powers the Oculus headset, which we're going to talk but about the, later. You're telling me all the, the reasons Oculus why it should be a buy. During Christmas. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm warming up to it. I really am, Kelly. I'm warming up to the stock. I'm, I'm, I'm going to put a bow on it and say, I actually might trade it, just do a little trade through through earnings here and then add to the portfolio. So so just to finish that point, don't forget, they power Oculus. They like VR, AR. Uh, the Oculus app was the most downloaded app in the Apple Store during Christmas. Uh, and also, they just announced uh, they opened the patent dispute. They, uh, the Court of Appeals reopened the patent dispute with Apple. So Qualcomm going to get another shot at this. So so I'm, get, I'm getting bullish. Christina, you won him over. Can you just say Renault one more time for the for everybody in the back? Wait, okay, so Renault, but if I were to think long-term and maybe not so bullish, what about all of these tech companies that are creating their own custom chips? Not enough people are talking about it. We know that Apple is working on its custom chips, maybe not designing, not manufacturing. But I think this is a conversation that we could have maybe in the near term because this could really hurt a lot of chimp companies, you know, five to ten years from now. Any final comment, Mr. Gordon? Yeah, I, 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 as she said, Qualcomm's a diversified company, so they have they have autonomous driving, they've got Internet of Things, they've got modems, so it's not just all about chips. And Apple said it themselves in the report there. They're, even if, it's CBC did a nice story, even if uh, hardware sales grows, and specifically iPhone, companies like this were, will continue to be profitable, specifically Apple, and there's a lot of opportunities for Qualcomm, and I think they recognize that. All right, we will leave it there. Christina, thank you very, very much, Christina Parts and Evelis. Let's turn to Meta now, reporting for the first time since renaming the company from Facebook. The shares are basically flat since it's rebranding in October. We bring in Julia Borson with the story. They're, oh, they have high expectations, Julia, or do they? Well, look, it is it is worth noting here, Kelly, that analysts expect Facebook's revenue growth to slow. It's expected to grow revenue just 19 percent. That's down from prior quarters. And Facebook has given a number of warnings of different things for investors to watch out for. So I think after Google's overall better than expected report yesterday, expectations are high. We see that shares are up today. But it is worth noting that YouTube revenues did fall short of analyst expectations. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in Meta's results. Three key things to watch for here, Kelly. One is the fact that there's that Apple operating system change. Facebook has warned it's making it harder for them to target ads. How well do they navigate around that? Another is the fact that they're going to be trying to grow in their user base and engagement. The numbers, the user numbers here in the U.S. have been pretty much flatter, even down in prior quarters. So taking a close look at those numbers. So those are some key things to watch there. And then, of course, sort of this broader question that impacts all these advertisers, all these brands are, are sort of how much have advertisers pulled back as a result of those supply chain constraints in the fourth quarter. So taking a look at those, Kelly. So a lot to talk about beyond just that shift to the metaverse. Absolutely. And Todd, again, we've seen such strong performance from big tech so far that it kind of raises the bar for Facebook, except that the stock trades more cheaply. It's probably the least loved, maybe even these days the least owned of the group. So, you know, and, and like Julie said, some revenue declines that people may be bracing for. Right. Don't forget, Kelly, they're, they're, I, I, I'm still not used to this myself. They're not a technology stock. They're considered a communication stock, right? Um, we we have a, a small position in Facebook. It's almost a token position. Uh, we rebalanced the growth portfolio at the end of last year. We cut it in half down to one and a quarter. Uh, but that being said, we, we are looking, I think it is a strong quarter coming up here. Uh, their margins continue to be really strong. Their gross margin is like 80%. Their EBITDA margin is 58%. Um, expected uh, at 
52. So last was 58, expected at 52, so a 6% drop with this drag on, on investing in, um, in this virtual reality. Uh, they're looking at 13.96 a share, including today's $3.85 expected. Next year, they're expected to make $14.30. So $13.96 to $14.30.22. That's only a 2.5% growth rate for a company that's that's spearheading the metaverse. I think that's a little cheap. And plus, they're at the S&P multiple, 22.5 times forward earnings. So a little cheap for me, despite everything well, they've, they've gone through. Uh, yep. Please. I mean, let me just jump in on, on them spearheading the metaverse. Yes, Oculus is doing well, but do they have a metaverse right now to speak of? No. No, and, and, and very few people do. And I, I have actually, being that I have such a small position, I, I'm hesitant to be bullish on the metaverse with their uh, ability to develop hardware that's form-fitting and, and works. You know, they really need to bring in uh, this virtual lab some, some hardware engineers that can make something that won't mess up her hair, leaves big big old spots on her right. faces. But it, it's very much in the infancy. Well, and Kelly, I think every company you speak to, right. whether it's small, Apple, small companies, Apple, we're five to 10 years away from this really making a difference in our lives. So I, I can't, I don't think we have to look for this next year to be right. a, a game changer for us. Jules? Well, well, I just have to say, this is not only the first quarter since they've changed their name, but also this is the first quarter that Facebook's going to be breaking out the Reality Labs division. So they're going to be reporting the financials for the family of apps. That's all, you know, Facebook, WhatsApp, all the things we think of as being core to that business. And then they're breaking out Reality Labs. That's in no small part so they can make it clear which part of the business is losing money. It's going to be the Reality Labs part. But we will also get more clarity into Oculus how it's doing, what kinds of sales they saw in the fourth quarter, and maybe even some indication of what's next for that division. Maybe they should have called themselves Oculus. I see you're still champing at the bit to get in, Todd, but we'll leave it there and move along to Spotify as we... we wait to hear from Meta tonight. This was going to be a good one, I promise you. All right, go ahead. You're killing me. Sorry, go please. ahead. No, 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 no. Too built, too built up now. Um, listen, on CBC, I, I did a Trading Nation. I put these Oculus 2 goggles on. Kelly, I think I did the first options trade in virtual reality. Literally, they have the ability to break across these three monitors in virtual reality on the beach, and I put a trade on, <laughs> a, a Facebook options trade on. It's amazing what it they is. have. Last thing. I, I did a tour of the White House with Obama leading. I felt like I felt so patriotic and so it's, go check that out. There's more technology there than you think. I, I, it'll it'll change our lives. I'm all sorry right. to in take our so remaining much time. 90, 60 seconds here, maybe Julia, Spotify, I think we all do know the story here. You think earnings can turn the story around? Well, look, I think that we've seen some some very, very positive analyst notes in the past couple of days and an indication that they've really moved past this Joe Rogan issue. We haven't seen other artists um, asked to be taken off the platform. So even though the stock is down right now, there was a very bullish note from Rich Greenfield uh, from Mm -hmm. Lightshed. And he points to the fact that they are expected to cross $1 billion in ad revenue for the year. And he sees massive growth ahead for the advertising opportunity in particular. All right. Todd, you get about 13 words. Are you buying or selling Spotify here? Not buying. They have a third of the global market share. Uh, Apple is in second at 15%. TechCrunch did an interesting article following the Rogan. There's been very little cancellations or or decrease in duration of sessions, and they're not ad-reliant right now. They're subscriber-based. So while they're not canceling, I think it continues. I don't own it. I'm going to watch interest with interest, though. You are the best at arguing for the position you don't have. (laughs) 
<laughs> Hear all the great things I, about I, it. I, 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 I'm, a, I'm obliged to be a fiduciary. Yeah. We've got to tell exactly how it is. I love it. Todd, thank you so much today. Todd Gordon with our trades. Julia, thank you very much. Covering Spotify and Metaphors. It's going to be a busy afternoon. And Spotify CEO Daniel Eck is tomorrow exclusively on Squawk on the Street at 10 a.m. Eastern. Coming up... AI tech and beds in the ceilings. Those are just a few of the changes this hotel giant is making as the pandemic changes travelers' demands. Shares of the chain have more than doubled since the 2020 lows. All the details next. Welcome back. The pandemic not just changing what we want from our employers, it's also impacting our expectations when it comes to travel. Seema Modi joins us now with that story and the hotel chain taking steps to accommodate these changing tastes. Seema? Kelly, that's right. Marriott President Stephanie Leonard says one of the big trends coming out of the pandemic is travelers increasingly blending work and play. It's one of the reasons the world's largest hotel operator is looking to redesign the layout of hotel rooms for more multifunctional use. Think of the Murphy bed of the future, where you would hit a button and the bed would go up into the ceiling and then a desk and a workspace would come down. And perhaps then another button would then bring in a couch and a television and a living space. The design still in testing is seen as another way for Marriott to compete with Airbnb. Remember, it did launch a rival home rental service, Home and Villas, back in 2019. But Marriott's success also depends on the broader travel recovery, which Leonard says has been impacted by Omicron. What we're seeing with the Omicron variant is it's giving us some bumps in the recovery, but it is not stopping the recovery. People really want to get out and travel. We had quite a strong holiday season at the end of the year. Earnings on February 15th will give us a much-needed read on when business travel bookings are expected to rebound because, Kelly, as you know, this has really been a travel recovery that's been led by the vacation or the leisure traveler. The bed coming down from the ceiling or going up into it is, is definitely grabbing cool. attention. So why do they need to do that? Is the premise that, you know, a hotel room is small, you need to pack a lot? It just it feels like if they had some kind of, you know, Zoom setup with ring lights and all the rest of it, that might... You're going to leave the bed there and still uh, still have the function. I think what we're seeing coming out of this pandemic, Kelly, and from the conversation I had with Leonard's was that the traveler wants to do many things when they're taking a trip. So not only do they want to be able to take that Zoom call and sleep at night, but work out, have a little bit of room to stretch, maybe invite a friend over. All the things that you can do in a home at a vacation rental, you can do the same thing as what they're striving to do at a hotel. So yeah. multifunctional use, but without increasing or expanding the footprint, right? Because when you expand, that real estate can get costly. Yeah. And I think the, the bed in the background remains the most cringy thing about a lot of Zooms. It makes most people feel unprofessional. And <laughs> even though we all know it's just that's just what yeah, the I get sleepy like. when I see a bed. Yeah. <laughs> Some people I've seen doing it <laughs> on their laptop in bed. Anyway, the Zoom, that is. Seema, thank you very much. Uh, Seema Modi, that does it for The Exchange, everybody. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. 
How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Go to cnbcmakeit.com slash courses to register now and learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course where experts share their secrets for a dynamic resume, coming across with confidence, what to wear, and more. For a limited time, save 50% with our introductory offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses.